National Geographic Spirit of Adventure Award winner Lisa Blair is known for her records and incredible passion for the environment, her yacht climate action now and to become the third person to sail solo unassisted non-stop around Antarctica. I'm Deborah Wallace and welcome to our second series of Women in Sailing podcasts. In this series, we'll add to the list of women making their mark in the competitive world of yacht racing. A few years ago, I had the pleasure of meeting Lisa and more recently again in Sydney while she was teaching for Pacific Sailing School before heading north to Queensland, where she is now based. For those who know or have met Lisa, you'll know that she's incredibly positive and passionate about her mission to sail solo around Antarctica. In this episode, we hear about her journey, what she has accomplished already, and what's on the horizon. Here's a little about Lisa to start. Did you know Lisa has a Bachelor of Education? Also, she holds an RYA and MCA Yacht Masters, a Master 5 and a Med 3. She's also participated in the Round the World Clipper Race and the Sydney to Hobart Yacht Race. She sailed solo across the Tasman. For Lisa, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is the first of two podcasts and a week of information on Lisa's current project. We hope you enjoy listening to this record-breaking solo sailor. I'd like to welcome Lisa Blair. Hi Lisa, how are you today? Good, thanks Deb. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, It's our pleasure. So how's everything going in lockdown for you? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm fairly unemployed at the moment. Uh, most of my income is normally through keynote speaking and teaching sailing and neither of which I can do much of at the moment, but uh, it's hopefully going to turn around and change soon. Hopefully, yes, we'll get back to a perceived normal very, very soon. But look, let's get started. If you could share with us when you started sailing and how you got into sailing, that would be amazing. Yeah, no worries. Um, so I had sort of been exposed to boats a tiny bit as a kid, but I was, I guess, too young to worry about, you know, getting an interest in actually learning how to sail. I was on my mum's partner's boat and it was more, uh, you know, what was the best section of deck that I could sunbake in as a teenager? <laughs> um, so I didn't actually start learning sailing until I randomly got a job in the Sunday Islands as the hostess on one of the charter boats up there. And it was meant to just be a summer holiday uh, sort of job. It was my last year of university. I was meant to be up there for three months. And uh, I ended up deferring university, staying for a year and just completely falling in love with sailing. And uh, and then I eventually went back and finished uni, but I, I went straight back to sailing as soon as I finished my degrees. Fantastic. So after uni, where did you end up after uni? For me, sailing was just sort of, something that fell into my lap. So the last week of uni, before my results and everything were through, I had a phone call from a friend of mine that I'd been um, studying with and she 
and her father were sailing their boat from Australia to Hawaii and they needed a crew member to join them in Samoa because they'd had a crew member had to leave last minute. Mm -hmm. And um, so I got this random phone call asking if I wanted to fly to Samoa and join their boat and sail to Hawaii. And I was just, uh, I jumped on it instantly. It was the second time I'd left the country on my own. And uh, I packed up my life in a couple of days and jumped on a boat and, then yeah, sailed to Hawaii. So uh, that definitely for me cemented my passion for ocean sailing mm-hmm. over just coastal sailing because it was this, you know, overnight sailing with the whales and beautiful starry nights and you're getting to go and explore all these tiny little islands and cultures that you wouldn't normally be able to get exposed to if you were traveling through backpackers or flying or um, you know another means of transport and uh, so it just sort of opened up my world to this offshore ocean sailing and um, yeah I just fell in love with it. So how did you get involved with solo sailing then? So after you've done your trip over to Hawaii enjoyed that where did that lead you and how did you get into solo sailing yeah perfect so i um i was sort of stranded in hawaii for about eight months um so i I lived and worked there on a little charter boat and i also made these handmade candles um in one of the tourist regions and then i when i returned to australia i was still broke and i'd managed to save enough money for a flight home and so when i got home i got kind of the first job i could get which was selling costume jewelry in the mall in this um little sort of temporary booth setup and i'd just gone from kind of sailing across oceans and having these grand adventures to working in the mall under fluorescent lights and hating life um and so i I started at that point uh reading lots of stories my mum's partner he lent me a bunch of books on solo sailors so i started reading the stories of like jesse martin kay coddy robin knox johnson peter gross like all these incredibly historic solo sailors and uh, i just started to get really fascinated with the concept of a normal person because a lot of them they weren't necessarily all sailors before they went and did those trips Mm -hmm. but a normal person that found their passion fell in love with it and then made a a conscious decision to go and sail around the world on their own and then worked out how to make it happen and and then go and execute it and I just sort of it highlighted to me that something like that a it sounded like an amazing grand adventure um difficult as it might be, it just sounded like it was something I would just love to do. And um, and by reading their stories, I realised that, you know, your average person could achieve that if they wanted to. And so I started looking at ways to try and get some sailing experience because at that point, I um, you know, I knew the white flappy stuff went up and I knew how to tack and drive a boat, but I had no idea how to do more technical things on board like navigation. I'd never used a spinnaker before. I had very little helming experience. Um, and I hadn't ever been the person in charge um, making the, the judgment calls. So mm. I needed to make sure I could get more experience to so that maybe one day I could try this solo sailing thing if it was something in a few years' time that I was still interested in. But it's sort of reading those stories started me down the path of looking into ocean sailing and, and round-the-world yacht races and, um, you know, and then maybe one day doing it on my own. Well, that's great. And you did mention Robin Knox Johnson. I've noticed that you've done the 2011-2012 Clipper Around the World Race. So yes. what, what were some of your favourite moments there? 
Yeah, well, it was actually his book that mentioned the the race that got me looking into the Clipper race. And it was, for me, it, I, I looked at that race as the, the perfect opportunity for someone with, um, you know, deckhand level of experience to to get exposure to the different oceans and to get the chance to go and sail around and, and tackle all those challenges with a full team behind you um, to I could look at doing it solo one day. So I highly, highly, highly recommend that event to anybody who's just looking for something a bit different, a sense of achievement or a great adventure. And um, I, I got asked a lot the question of what was my favourite part of doing that race. And I have to say every time was the Southern Ocean. Um, sailing in the Southern Ocean is just such a unique experience because you've got waves higher than houses and, and you're surviving in this really brutal environment and and you can safely get through it if you can handle it correctly and um i was always just fascinated with the different colors of the sea and the sky and how the day was always different even if the the seascape was the same endless kind of horizon and um yeah and i just fell in love with that that idea of like racing on these 30 foot waves in the southern ocean and hand steering a boat down them surfing waves at 27 knots and um just loving it so you got some real hands-on experience and got an opportunity to learn a lot more about navigation? Yeah, so I was really fortunate with my skipper. I had Richard Hewson, um, who was our skipper on board Gold Coast Australia, and he um, he kind of saw my enthusiasm for sailing and, and my thirst for knowledge, and he fostered that the whole way around the world. So um, by the end of the record or by the end of the race, I was the first person up the mast for every event. Um, I went up the mast once in 50 knots of wind at 2.30 in the morning, um, which was wow. quite exciting. And we surfed yeah. away at like 25 knots when I was up the up the mast. Um, I was first on the bow for a sail change. I was the watch leader for the second half of the race. So it gave me um, that chance of responsibility. And he spent a lot of time um you know teaching me how to splice the ropes tune the rigging uh hand steer the boat to optimum performance and he also spent a lot of time working through or showing us and explaining um you know like the weather forecasting and how you can sort of weather route yourself for the best performance for a race and things like that so um yeah and i did my yacht masters as part of the clipper race training so i didn't just sail 40,000 nautical miles. I also got my commercial yacht masters yeah. at the end of the event. So um, for me, I started that trip as a deckhand and I came back as a skipper. Great. And I've also noticed you've got a med three. Um, do you find yes. that helps you out big time? Yeah, so we call it the dipstick ticket because um, you learn how to measure the oil. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had to get that. So when I returned from the Clipper race, I started skippering the boat that I was originally the deckhand on. And um, because of the size of the engines on those boats, commercially you required to have the MED3 as well. So I, I got that license then. Fantastic. And you'd probably recommend to a lot of people out there to look into doing a MED3? Yeah, MED3 or even just the RYA diesel engine course, but it is something that, you know, you have to be able to fix things when you're in the middle of the ocean. And if you've at least got basic understanding of what the components are around the engine and, and an understanding of the four different systems that operate an engine, then you can troubleshoot from there and you can expand your knowledge from there. But it gives you a really great um, sort of introduction and understanding of the basic systems on board a boat. Um, so, yeah, it's really good. Fantastic. So from there, this actually led you on to working with Alex Thompson Racing, Hugo Boss, which is 
amazing. How did yeah. you end up there? <laughs> Another random chance of occurrence. Um, so I was stranded in the UK after the Clipper race, flat broke, no money. Everything I'd done was with sponsorship or I'd fundraised the money for the Clipper race. So I had, you know, my family is a very average kind of income family. And, um, and so I like was talking to David Cusworthy, who's one of the race uh, coordinators for the Clipper race. And he suggested that I might be able to volunteer for a few days with Alex Thompson and just, you know, get the chance to have a look at one of his amazing sex up racing yachts. Mm. And so I jumped at the chance to volunteer for a few days while I was in the UK and that led to a job offer. And so they ended up, um, offering me to work on one of their corporate hospitality boats, which was in Vietnam. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so I was stranded in the UK and they flew me to Vietnam where I got to sail on this uh, Mocha 60 for three months and we sailed from Vietnam to um, Singapore and we spent a month doing hospitality events in Singapore and then went to Langkawi, um and then mainland Malaysia and then they flew me back to Australia. So that was uh, sort of my uh, random detour back to Australia. Fantastic. So, uh, I mean, that would have been absolutely incredible um, sailing through the islands there. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a really incredible experience because it was also a great eye-opener to how, like, the sponsorship world works yeah. and how corporate uh, sponsorship and how to optimise a, a campaign for your sponsors. Like, so they had two boats at the time and one – uh, two hospitality boats plus their race boat and one was doing um, all European based tour like events and then this other one was doing a two-year world tour and um, every two years it does another world tour and at each port it takes out um, you know fashion writers and models for photo shoots and so you've got to sort of run around behind the model who's in nine inch stilettos uh, with a piece of carbon fiber that she can walk on so that she doesn't damage the deck and things like that. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, it was just a great experience. And the skipper, um, he was really knowledgeable and willing to answer a lot of my questions. And yeah, so it, was, it was brilliant. What a great opportunity. So Lisa, now you're back in Sydney. What's next? I came back two weeks before Christmas. Uh, I got the local paper to write an article to say I was looking for a boat for the Sydney to Hobart yeah. and uh, managed to get picked up last minute for the Sydney to Hobart yacht race. So I joined a Beneteau First 40 uh, called Wave Sweeper uh, and we did the glamorous Sydney to Eden yacht race where we uh, unfortunately retired three quarters away or a quarter of the way across the Bass Strait. Um, but it was a, another great opportunity to see because I hadn't really – done any racing up until that point like the clipper races a race around the world but it's only with 10 boats on the start line so it's a very different experience especially with the sydney to hobart where we had like 100 boats on the start so uh that was really interesting to see how that kind of panned out and developed and then i went and worked in the Sundays again skippering boats and started looking for the next adventure and came across the solo trans tasman yacht race which uh I knew I wanted to do solo sailing. I didn't really know what kind of sailing yet, uh, but I knew in order to get sponsorship, it would probably have to be an event or race or a record. Mm. And um, I had zero funds uh, to buy a boat myself and I was working as a sailing instructor and a, and a teacher, a skipper, which, you know, is a, a lifestyle choice rather than a, a, a good income choice. And, uh, yeah, so I, I signed up. I was the only female to sign up 
uh, that year and the only person that didn't own a boat uh, and the, <laughs> the oh, organizers wow. used to just uh, laugh at me when I asked them how long uh, did I have to give them notice for before I could tell them whether I had a boat or not. So how did you overcome that obstacle? Well, I was I was hoping to be able to charter a boat um, or to raise the sponsorship to buy a boat. And at the time, I had 12 months to try and pull the campaign together. So I was working full time in the Whit Sundays. And then on my days off, I would call around and I'd send sponsorship proposals and I'd try and like figure out a way to make it happen. And at the same time, I was sort of saving all the money that I could um to put towards the project and I managed to find a guy in Tasmania who was going to charter me his boat. Um, unfortunately, a couple of weeks before the event was due to start, he called me up and told me that he'd sold the boat and I couldn't charter it anymore. And so I was trying to kind of pivot on that and I continued to call the new boat owner and see if he would lend me the boat or anything like that and I just it wasn't happening I called every boat brokerage in Australia I called anyone who had a yacht up for sale that I thought I might be able to pay them twenty thousand dollars or something to charter the boat for the event yeah. um, and I just wasn't getting anywhere and it ended up being um, I don't know if you know of her Tracy Johnston yep I know. yeah yep. so she wrote an article um, about me looking for a boat for the Trans Tasman Yacht Race and Roger McMillan who runs mysailing.com um, he uh, he had posted all my blogs when I did the Clipper Race so he knew who I was I didn't know who he was but he messaged me and said he'd shared the article through their online sailing forum and um, if I don't get any luck with it I can always take his boat as sort of like a side note and a joke at the end of the end of the paragraph um, and I completely latched on and uh, after another week or so of waiting to see if any other better boats or better suited boats came forward um, he agreed to lend me his yacht so uh, I got to borrow his aluminium Vandestat which is a, a 38 foot Vandestat um, that he built himself uh, called Cater of Margaret River and um, I had a week to get her ready and I never sailed her before. And the first time I sailed her was when I hoisted the sails at Baron Joey Heads and aimed the bows east to New Zealand. And I figured I had 12 days to figure it out. And wow. And to New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, gee. No, that, that is incredible. And how did you go? How did you go? You got there? I got there um, with a few major um, incidences. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was, it was okay. It was a bit of a learning curve. And um, uh, normally with solo sailing, you have a lot of redundancies built into the boat, but yeah. this boat was set up for crude sailing generally. So it only had one autopilot and the autopilot um, fortunately would get overloaded and the boat would round up and then it'd do a full 360 pivot. So I oh, called her the ballerina because we kept doing all these um, pirouettes in the middle of the ocean. Um, so I ended up having to catnap by the helm and so I'd sleep in all my wet weather gear and I had this little mechanical alarm clock um, that could do 20 minutes, like an oven timer. Mm -hmm. And so I'd sleep with the oven timer wedged in around my ear and listening to the click, click, click as it goes through. And, uh, yeah, and that was how I got through. So I'd just do 20-minute micro sleeps. And every 20 minutes I got up and scanned the horizon for any shipping because um, not everything shows up on AIS or radar. Mm. And so it's still really important to keep it a good lookout. And um, I was about eight days in and 200 miles from arriving in um, 
New Plymouth and uh, a, a little low pressure system centred on top of me, which ended up uh, becoming a, a much larger low pressure system than forecasted. And because I was right on the edge of the continental shelf there um, off New Zealand, where the depth of the sea changes from like yeah. five kilometres to a couple hundred metres, um, I got stuck right in the wrong spot, right when the weather hit. And I ended up getting like 40 foot waves in this tiny little boat. And we were getting like knocked down by the peaks through like swept sideways by the waves. And I was really worried I was either going to demast or roll the boat. Mm. Um, and so I ended up having, and I, my mainsail tore off the track. The, the sail repair company had put sliders on but the yeah. guy hadn't put enough stitches in so all this all the mainsail sliders just tore off so the, the sail tore free of the mast um i had a rope catch around my gps and rip it off the back of the boat um so it was, so it was basically like you know your nightmare introduction into solo sailing and i ended up having to turn the boat around and put a drogue out the back and i spent another day under drogue drifting and mm. it put me another 100 miles from land and then the next day the storm blew over and there was no wind on the other side of it and I didn't have enough fuel to motor and it took me another like three days to, to sail under storm jib and storm stress. <laughs> um, and then when I arrived, I had no GPS that was like built into the system. So I was plotting on a paper chart with a handheld GPS and um, New Plymouth Harbour has these kind of little rocky islands right around the entrance that are scattered mm -hmm. all around the front of the entrance. And you've got to go through this little like narrow point and um I had a complete whiteout with the squall hit and pouring rain, couldn't see more than like 20 feet in front of the boat. And uh, so I was having to run below every six minutes and replot myself on the chart and give myself a new heading um, to make sure I didn't hit any of the reefs and rocks oh, on the wow. entrance. Um, so that was just to get to the start of the race. And then I had to turn around and race the boat back to Australia. Um, yeah, wow. <laughs> Baptism but, of fire. Yeah, exactly. But it was a great learning experience. And um, I think with things like this, you you never really know what you're capable of until you go out and give it a go. And I think more often than not, you're more capable than you realised. And, mm. and so having everything go wrong only cemented the fact that I could do it um, yeah. and I could overcome those challenges. And, uh, yeah, so I set myself bigger and bigger challenges since. You've definitely accomplished a lot. So from the Trans-Tasman race, what was next? Trans-Tasman Yacht Race. And at the end of that race, I, I started putting the call out for sponsorship for Antarctica. Mm -hmm. And um, it took me three and a half years to get that project off the ground. Uh, and I bought that boat, uh, Climate Action Now, I bought her in 2015 and I raced her two months later in the Sydney to Hobart with a mixed team. Mm -hmm. And um, and then the following year I sailed it solo around Antarctica and set that world record. And then when I returned, I had like three, four months after my return uh, before the Sydney to Hobart 2017. So at that point I really wanted to, I'd had so much help from so many people in the community and sailing and, and so many different businesses and everything that I wanted to, as a female sailor, give that opportunity to other female sailors coming through. So I reached out to Libby uh, at the Magenta Project, Libby Greenhouse, yep. and um, we partnered together and we had four professional sailors or four experienced sailors on board and then four what we called emerging sailors um, who mm -hmm. were very good inshore sailors but hadn't had the chance to do an offshore 
um, Cat 1 yacht race yet. And we were hoping to utilise the opportunity to give them their first Cat 1 race, which would then open up doors for them to have more opportunity in offshore ocean racing. Um, and so, yeah, so we had another four girls join and we raced to Hobart. Fantastic. Yep. So then we delivered yep. the boat back from Hobart. Uh, and then I started putting together a project where I sailed solo around Australia. Yeah. Um, so I set another two records there. And uh, and then after that, I uh, did the Melbourne to Hobart Yacht Race, just for yeah. something different. That was, that was a double-handed, wasn't it? <laughs> Yes, yeah. So uh, there hadn't been a, a female double-handed team before enter that race. So I joined on with Jackie Perry, who runs Sistership, um, Sistership Training, and together we, uh, yeah, we raced my boat to Hobart and uh, did very well. I know for anybody that's out there, you've got a new book out. So share with us a little bit about what that is about. Yeah, so um, it's a book called Facing Fear. The story itself centres around my Antarctica record. So it, it, it talks about, I guess, a lot about what we've just covered here and how I got into sailing and then how that translated into wanting to become the first woman in history to sail solo around Antarctica and the third person to ever do it. Mm. Um and as I'm sure you know, I don't know if your your listeners know, but I had uh, quite a big disaster three quarters of the way around Antarctica where mm. my mast snapped in a storm and it put me into a life or death situation and I very nearly didn't survive that. Um, but once I did, I was able to get some fuel off a passing container ship and build a new mast with my jury rig um, and sail myself to South Africa and then repair the boat and restart the record and com and continue. So it was uh, the story itself centres around that journey and the, and the challenges that I faced, not only with the demasting, but also just life at sea. I mean, I was solo for 72 days when I lost the rig. Um, so just all the storms and the challenges and the blizzards at sea and the icebergs and, um, you know, what it takes to actually go out and achieve a record like that mm. and then, than the thought of overcoming the fear and the trauma from my demasting to actually go back and finish it. Oh, look, that's that's incredible. I know COVID's impacted a lot of businesses out there. You've set up an online store to promote your sustainability products and also you can actually grab a copy of Facing Fears. So how else has COVID impacted you and your next adventure? I guess a lot of my industry, as I said at the beginning, is uh, keynote speaking and, and sharing yeah. my story with a corporate audience or at schools and at yacht clubs. Um, and given the current climate, most of that's impossible. Yeah. Uh, so we're all trying to find other ways of, of eking out a living. I um, I was aiming to sail at the back around Antarctica because for me it, it really feels like unfinished business. Um, okay because I demastered and I was beating the overall speed record when I broke the boat. So I want to go back and challenge that record again. Um, but I've postponed it 12 months given the current scenarios because uh, sponsorship is pretty hard to come by at the moment mm -hmm. as so many businesses are a fairly uncertain future. So um, I'm just sort of sitting tight for another couple of months and hopefully things will settle down shortly and, and I'll be able to start getting together my next project and, um, and obviously everything I do is promoting climate action now and a, a sustainable future. And uh, so I hope to continue to carry that message on the next project. I understand there's another project you've been working on as well. 
We've got a documentary coming out close towards the end of the year or early next year, depending on release dates. Um, and that doco is called Ice Maiden, and that also centers around my solo circumnavigation of Antarctica. So um, I have the book out, the, the doco coming up, and then I'll be focused on the next project. You have been really busy when you look at things. Yes. <laughs> did a huge amount of sailing in a very short period of time. Thank you so much again for being a part of today's podcast. You're and very welcome. Have a lovely afternoon. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you again soon. Take care, Lisa. Bye-bye.